the candidate might expect there to be more time vested elements or components to the compensation, especially if they feel like they've already earned uh, a lot of that compensation at the prior employer and it's about to be payable. So this is really one of the biggest areas of nuance and probably the biggest area of negotiation between a candidate you know, and a potential company. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. On this show, we discuss all aspects of executive compensation. Whether you're a compensation committee member, a seasoned compensation professional, or just curious to learn more about executive compensation, then this show is the answer. Each episode brings you a focused and actionable interview on specific topics of executive compensation. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. In this episode, we speak with Michael Britton, partner, and Adam Hearn, senior consultant, both at Meridian Compensation Partners, all about establishing compensation for CEOs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. Today, I am joined by Michael Britton and Adam Hearn of Meridian Compensation Partners. And Michael and Adam, can you guys quickly introduce yourselves? Yeah, great. Thank you, Jake. My name is Michael Britton. I'm a partner with Meridian. I also serve on our executive committee, and I've consulted in executive compensation over 20 years. And my name is Adam Hearn. I'm a senior consultant with Meridian. I have a, a business background. I'm also an attorney by background. I've been consulting on the executive compensation space for about the last six or seven years, the last three of which have been with Meridian. Perfect. And so today we're going to be discussing around the topic of establishing compensation for CEOs. And can you guys maybe give us just a quick sneak peek at what we're going to be discussing today? Sure, Jake. Adam and I are really excited to be visiting with you on this topic today. The subject matter of CEO compensation is a sensitive one. It's a highly visible topic. It's one that can generate a lot of energy and emotion, and it's really something that's very critical for boards to get right. And so what we're going to be diving into are really kind of three dimensions of CEO compensation, starting out with just establishing compensation for a new CEO, then transitioning into how boards should be evaluating CEO pay over time, and then we'll wrap up with really how to discuss and review CEO pay for CEOs that are going through a planned exit or transition out of the company. And really, as we get into this topic, I think really the frame of mind that we're, we're going to be really focused on today is what is a successful and effective process? So what does that look like? We're going to talk a little bit about some of the roles that are involved in the process steps, other considerations and data that boards should really be looking at. And just to set the the stage, when we talk about CEO pay for the purposes of this discussion, we're really focused on target total direct compensation. And so base salary, bonus at a targeted level, and then a grant date or target value of long-term incentives and equity. 
And just to, to jump in there real quick, Michael, because I think you set the stage exactly right. It, it is a complicated topic, obviously hugely important to a number of different stakeholders. At each one of the stages that you mentioned, I think we'll talk through a number of different factors that need to be considered by all of those stakeholders. From an internal perspective, you're talking about not just the CEO, but other members of the management team. You're talking clearly about the board of directors, the compensation committee, but potentially other directors as well. And from both an internal and external messaging perspective, optics, disclosures, key shareholders, there's a number of different stakeholders that are going to be interested in every different scenario that we're talking about. And there's a lot of nuance to each of those different situations that we'll certainly try to cover. Then we'll also talk about from a data perspective, what is going to be the most critical information for whether it's the compensation committee or the overall board of directors to be aware of what the different sources for market data are likely to be, how that information is put together and what additional information besides just numbers the committee or the board might be looking to as they work through the process. Uh, like you said, I think the, the key theme that kind of binds all of these scenarios together is really what the process should look like to be successful. Open communication is the clearest way to ensure that everybody's on the same page and that we get to the best outcome for the company. We'll dive in and talk about all of those different situations. Great. So let's go ahead and dive in with that first scenario you guys mentioned about establishing compensation for a new CEO. Yeah, thanks, Jake. I think, as I mentioned, with nuances in each of these different situations, it's really important at the onset to distinguish between an internal promotion for the new CEO that we're talking about or an external hire for the, C the new CEO that we're talking about. Generally speaking, for a variety of reasons, I think it's safe to say that internal promotions are the more common path for a new CEO to get into the role rather than an external hire. Spencer and Stewart, uh, Spencer Stewart actually tracks CEO transitions at S&P 500 companies. And just as a quick data point, during I think it was the first quarter of this year, 22 S&P 500 companies reported that they had appointed new CEOs. Of those 22, 17 were internal promotions. So that's that's the situation that we're talking about, and that's where we normally find ourselves. Yeah. So if you maybe wanted to kick off the conversation there. Absolutely. I think, as you said, some of that data suggests that there's a high prevalence of internally promoted CEOs. And I think in many ways, I think a lot of boards would really favor that as the preferred approach. I think what that signals is that they have an effective succession planning and management development process in place and a really solid bench of talent. And as we'll talk about in just a minute, it's uh, the cheaper of the, the two kind of options. So when you think about an internally promoted CEO, philosophically speaking, when I'm talking with boards around this process, usually what we're doing is trying to target uh, a pay package that is generally less than the new CEO's predecessor and often below the market median. So why would this be the case? Again, keep in mind that we're bringing someone into a very large important critical role within the company and oftentimes they're in a in an important role like CEO or excuse me CFO or COO or maybe the head of a large division and they have not yet developed all the full skill set required for an existing experienced CEO and so 
allowing some runway for the new incumbent to get toward median, I think makes a lot of sense. You might see uh, a board, for example, maybe earmark the 25th percentile as a starting point with an anticipated two or three year progression to get more toward the market median as that incumbent CEO develops and grows in their role and the company performs. You might see some situations where the new CEO pay is similar to the outgoing CEO. Those are maybe cases of special situations. Maybe there's a, a turnaround that's going on. Maybe the incoming CEO has been waiting in the wings for a number of years and their pay is maybe already closer to that of the outgoing CEO. But in most cases, we would suggest maybe targeting something that's below the predecessor, out below the outgoing CEO, and maybe a little bit more conservatively positioned against market. I think from a data perspective, like you said, typically what I'm seeing and what I think the data supports is that two to three year time frame to get an internally promoted CEO up to that market median. I think that's the from a prevalence perspective, the most common practice. But I would say that even though it's it's the most prevalent to get to that multi-year progression, like you said, it's certainly not um, all that unusual to find a, a, a different path to get there. And you, you were saying a little while ago about the importance of every individual's role. Mm-hmm. And certainly from Meridian's perspective, I know one of the things that I'm asked to do frequently is put together actual straw models of what that progression might look like yeah. and uh, how a new CEO might navigate, might what the runway for that new CEO might look like and whether it's an increase in long-term incentive opportunity sooner, or whether it's an increase in the cash compensation sooner or longer, showing the board, showing the committee those different models can be invaluable insight into what, what the actual dollars might look like in different scenarios over time. Yeah, yeah. And just one other point before we leave this particular topic, in addition to the establishing the annual salary, the target bonus, and the annual long-term incentive target grant value, There are some limited situations where a company and a board might wish to make a special grant of equity to the incoming CEO. We might see this typically when the transition occurs off cycle, maybe when there's, you got six months until the next annual grant, uh, a board might approve a a one-time bridge award to help get the the new CEO toward their targeted annual run rate of long-term incentives. Similarly, there could be other situations where a board is really just trying to send a strong message around alignment to the share price, maybe stock ownership, or just bolstering uh, the incumbent's invested equity stake. In your experience, have you gotten a lot of pushback when the topic of a one-time award is raised? Or, or does everybody follow the data and go where it leads them? Yeah, Adam, it's really facts and circumstances. And again, I've, I've seen situations where it really does make a lot of sense. And it's even responsive to investor and shareholder expectations to where you might see something that's a highly performance-based, maybe longer-term vesting kind of one-time award. You guys have mentioned a distinction here between a new CEO that's internally promoted um, versus hired externally. Is there any more to elaborate on that as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's a good question, Jake. And it's it's even more complicated than that because there's differences between an external hire with prior experience as a CEO and an external hire without 
prior experience as a CEO. So we can touch on both of those different scenarios because there's nuance there. Yeah, and, and Adam, to your point, I'll, maybe I'll jump in on a, an external hire without uh, prior CEO experience. And I think really the starting point for establishing annual pay is very similar to that of an internally promoted CEO, where you're looking to perhaps maybe position total compensation that's a little bit more conservative relative to an established market benchmark or below an outgoing CEO who may have been in that role for many, many years, positioning that individual's compensation a little bit below market, again, to acknowledge that he or she has not yet fully developed into a fully functioning, fully experienced CEO. Of course, as we talked about there, there might be some exceptions to that, depending on the company's context and situation. But then we get into other decisions around what is it going to take to bring in an experienced executive at another company and install them as a new CEO of our company. And this is where I think it gets to be a little bit more of an expensive proposition that I mentioned earlier than an internally promoted CEO. Because oftentimes an executive coming over from another company will be leaving on the table potentially a significant amount of unvested equity and perhaps other incentive compensation that would be otherwise payable. And so it's important to really dig into the details uh, of that. And oftentimes a board will do some analysis and replace some or maybe even all of that unvested compensation. Here, you know, part of the consideration is balancing the expectations of the candidate and really what it is that they're leaving on the table and the what a company needs to induce an executive to leave their current role and take a risk to take a new bigger role with your company. But there's also shareholder expectations. Shareholders would prefer those kinds of replacement awards to be reasonably sized with longer term vesting and heavily performance based. The candidate might expect there to be more time vested elements or components to the compensation, especially if they feel like they've already earned uh, a lot of that compensation at the prior employer and it's about to be payable. So this is really one of the biggest areas of nuance and probably the biggest area of negotiation between a candidate you know, and a potential company. How much work are you doing to educate board members, committee members, even the CEO on what that process looks like, how the nature of the negotiation might unfold, yeah. or how much are, are you a bystander in that process? Yeah, Adam, a lot of times what we're asked to do is run some of those numbers in terms of what is this executive leaving on the table. And it's obviously a lot easier if the incoming executive was a named executive officer of a publicly traded company because then we can really look into and dig into their pay history and what they might be leaving on the table as well as to look at the company's performance and make some reasonable assessments as to maybe how some of the performance incentive compensation might be tracking. And then from there, it really is, I think, breaking that into components of time-based and performance-based compensation, maybe illuminating and highlighting for uh, the board what are some maybe longer term equity vesting that the participant might be leaving on the table or options that are deeply underwater and maybe those aren't bought out on a one-for-one -one basis and so this is where we can help boards and compensation committees wrestle through some of those numbers so they can make some informed decisions part of the reason i ask is because i think it's a different situation when the incoming ceo has prior ceo experience mm -hmm. a lot of these issues they've gone through before and so you're, especially if you're recruiting 
an individual who has prior CEO experience from a similar sized company, presumably in a similar or you know related industry, mm-hmm. even though there's still going to be be differences and different roles may change from an advisory standpoint. I think it's common for the CEO to maybe be able to hit the ground running in a little bit of a different different fashion. I'd say from a data perspective, a company's gonna gonna need to offer a, a market competitive compensation arrangement, both in terms of cash compensation and long-term incentive opportunity in a way that might be different if the executive doesn't have uh, prior CEO experience. Again, from a data perspective, I think companies are typically looking at a couple of different market reference points. Certainly the the candidate's current compensation opportunity, where they've been, what that actually looks like. You were talking about unvested equity, but certainly how their bonus might have been trending or where they really were from each different component of pay. And maybe, like you said, it's a more expensive proposition. Maybe the the right candidate once they've been identified, maybe the the company's going to have to stretch a little bit and and even be at or above market median right out of the gate from each pay component uh, component perspective in order to get that candidate excited about the new position. Yeah, Adam, I think you make a really good point around business case and real business needs based on facts and circumstances that might, in some circumstances, again, cause a board to need to pay up a little bit more to get the right essential talent in the door. And I think here's where I think some of that tension between what is appropriate and needed from a business perspective and then how to balance that with, say, on pay votes and external expectations in terms of how new hire and new CEO pay packages should be sized and structured. That's great. Let's dive into that second scenario you guys mentioned about evaluating compensation annually for a current CEO. Adam, do you want to kick us off on that one? Actually, Jake, I'm going to start us off on this one because really I think if you take a step back and you think about how a board evaluates CEO pay on an annual basis for an established incumbent in the role, really I think at the outset uh, of the process, it's really important to establish and define the roles and kind of the process steps and really how should this work. And one of the key first steps is just reflecting on some of the board written board governance documentation around what is our what are the charters and some of our other documentation say who is responsible for deciding CEO pay. In my experience, most often the way this works is that a compensation committee will independently review a variety of different factors and make a recommendation to the full board of independent directors for their approval for CEO pay. I think the second kind of key element from a process standpoint is just understanding the timing and the process for the CEO's annual performance evaluation. These are things that should be married up in terms of the sequencing and the cadence. And I think with both of these process steps, it's just critical for everyone to understand how this process is going to work. So there are no surprises. And I think in particular, making sure that the CEO understands and has his or her expectations you know, properly set for how this is supposed to work. A, a CEO who, again, might be newer in the role, but is now a little bit more established, might still have some questions around the governance process and the timing and who is involved. I can tell you then we talk about roles. What are some of the roles in the process? I think one of the, obviously a key role is going to be the compensation committee chair. 
and it's that person's role to really take the lead in this process and lead discussions with the committee on independent and objective evaluation of CEO pay. Oftentimes, a board will have other independent board leadership, like a lead independent director or a uh, board chair who is not the CEO, an independent board chair. And that individual is often involved too, coordinating with the committee chair. Sometimes they provide perspective on their views on what the compensation should look like, but usually there is some alignment between the committee chair and the independent board leader role. You have the CHRO, CHRO role, and here the importance of the CHRO role is to provide data as requested and needed for the board chair and the committee chair and for the committee's evaluation. This might be details of historical compensation for the CEO, details of outstanding equity holdings, sales, equity sales transactions, a variety of other maybe internal details they can help provide information to the full board in, in terms of some of their decisions. However, that's generally where the CHRO's role kind of ends, and that person is typically not involved in the independent discussions that uh, board members are having on CEO pay. Then you have a compensation consultant, and really the independent compensation consultant and advisor is there to assist the committee chair and the full committee in providing an external market context. So the market data review, but oftentimes there's a lot of other analysis that might go into that in terms of uh, pay and performance assessments and projections of realized and realizable pay, invested equity holdings, and a variety of other market context matters, including the prevailing standards and policies of proxy advisors like ISS and Glass-Lewis, as well as large institutional shareholders and what their expectations are for for CEO compensation. And then the compensation committee, obviously, as I mentioned before, involved in this independent evaluation, and they would often make that recommendation to the full board of independent directors for their approval. The CEO is is typically not heavily involved in this process, other than you know participating in the CEO evaluation process and certainly the recipient of newly approved compensation, but the CEO is typically not involved in any direct you know, conversations or deliberations by the independent board members on this matter. Mike, I'd jump in with a couple things just to, to elaborate a little bit, because I think this is hopefully the most common scenario, that most companies are not constantly in a state of trying to recruit a new CEO and figuring out where that CEO is going to come from, and conversely, hopefully not all that often, transitioning a CEO out, whether it's planned or unplanned. Hopefully there's several years of sweet spot where the CEO gets comfortable in the role and we're dealing with adjusting compensation on an annual basis. So I think it's worth just spending a minute talking about the data considerations. And there's a lot of overlap with these other scenarios that we're talking about. But typically, this process of setting the compensation level or adjusting the level starts with a a peer group review and making sure that the company has a reliable and up-to-date group of peer companies that can be used for establishing market data. And that's where it starts. But I think there's a few other things that are worth mentioning. Like we've talked about so far, Increasingly, and and I'd be interested if you agree, but I'm finding that compensation committees and boards are more and more sophisticated. They're expecting a higher level of analytics that go beyond just median market statistics. Mm -hmm. They're looking for 
more real-time data. They're looking for additional data points. They're understanding uh, complicated concepts in a way that maybe they didn't years ago when the data wasn't as readily available. So right at the onset, talking to the committee, talking to the board, understanding what kind of tension points there are and what data is going to help them make the most informed decision as efficiently as possible. Certainly from a CEO evaluation standpoint, there's a number of different sources of potential information and guidance that we can only know about as the consultant if we've had that dialogue early enough in the process to get the information where it needs to go. Certainly sometimes committees are gonna be most concerned with the facts and the numbers, but there's a lot of intangibles that are gonna go beyond that and a lot of benefit that, that we can add. And so that that's another point worth mentioning that the market information, wherever the data is coming from, is only one factor. That's really a, a starting point for the dialogue with the committee or the entire board. And it's important to, to communicate that, that each company, each individual needs to internalize the information and apply it to the facts and circumstances of the specific company. And there's a lot of different considerations there too, certainly from an internal equity perspective, looking at CEO pay, not just relative to the market, but relative to other executives within the organization, even to the extent of a median employee within the organization, uh, the CEO pay ratio that's disclosed maybe less commonly so a point of focus than it was even a couple of years ago, but a helpful reference point nonetheless for boards and committees to be able to think about. So those sorts of messaging and considerations that go way beyond just the market data, I think is really important to provide. No, great, great context. There was one other comment that I was just gonna make because we haven't really talked about it in detail yet. Yep. Obviously, Committees, boards have multiple levers that they can pull when adjusting compensation, really in any of these scenarios. But I, I know I know generally I'm seeing less movement on the cash compensation piece. And I, I at least with, with my clients, I'm seeing more of the focus on adjusting comp on an annual basis in terms of the long-term incentive piece. But Michael, I'd be curious your thoughts on that too. I'm definitely seeing that, Adam, especially for a CEO who has been in the role, let's say at least three or four years. But as you get to a more experienced and tenured executive, is a good chance that already their cash compensation is fairly well aligned with market. And really the message they want to continue to send is one of long-term performance, long-term focus on you know shareholder returns, and so that, therefore, as you just suggested, you, you do tend to see more focus on the equity compensation. And the larger the quantum tends to get, you also start to see more of that equity being performance-based. Sometimes you start to see even a, a distinction between the CEO versus the other named executive officers and how much of their long-term incentives and equity are based on multi-year performance metrics. All right, so let's talk about that final scenario, compensating for a CEO that is transitioning out of the role. I think up to this point, we've really talked about bringing a new CEO in, managing the CEO pay for an existing established CEO. And now we're at a point where maybe a company might be looking at a, a planned CEO exit or transition out of the company. And I think from this perspective, I really maybe want to focus on two of the more prevalent types of CEO transitions out of the company. The first of which is really a one-step approach, just going right into retirement. 
And so here, of course, the CEO would step away from all roles within the company and in their employment based on a qualifying retirement termination event. And as Adam will share with us in a minute, there are some you know, considerations as you would expect and unique circumstances to think about there. Maybe a more complicated, but also prevalent transition would be more of a phased approach. And so what, that, what might that look like? What we see in a number of cases you know, where a CEO and chair of the board is seeking to start this transition, you might see this in a couple of steps. The first step might be the CEO resigning from the CEO position, but they retain the board chair uh, role for some period of time uh, before they ultimately move on to retirement. And so maybe if we just take those two separately, Adam, if you want to maybe just comment a little bit about the direct to retirement transition, and then I'll talk a little bit more about what to think about in this sort of uh, phased approach. And again, we're talking about typical planned retirement. Certainly there can be exceptions, but in general, there's not really a whole lot of new pay decisions happening around a planned retirement. So the board or the committee understands what what is going to be happening. By definition, it's been planned, hopefully, for a bit. Uh, And by that, there's not necessarily cash severance attached to that. There's not necessarily an additional goodbye, thanks for your hard work type equity grant. Certainly, there, there are exceptions to those. But again, the fair way is that those considerations don't really need to be revisited. So the focus by the board can really be on the treatment of unvested equity. And again, typically this has been addressed ahead of time. You're gonna see these definitions and these provisions hopefully clearly laid out in public disclosures. You're gonna see them in award agreements. There's going to be a clear plan and a process in place for how different equity vehicles are treated upon retirement. That said, without fail, the board is gonna want a refresher course on exactly what is going to happen and what the actual outlay of dollars is going to look like, how those different equity vehicles are treated. And they're gonna, in many cases, look to the compensation consultant to provide that information and that high level, but also very detailed, nuanced summary and be able to answer questions, tax implications, accounting treatment, a host of other considerations that go into that analysis and summary. Yeah, Adam, I want to circle back to you know one of your earlier points around this notion of cash severance or some kind of farewell equity grant. There were, in the old days, these sort of golden goodbyes that you might see from certain companies as they kind of exit a long-term, long-standing, high-performing CEO. These days, we really don't see those kinds of awards being granted, and they are highly criticized by large investors and proxy advisors. And so it's a real, it is a real watch point, I think, for boards to be very careful about new special decisions that are made for an exiting CEO and making sure that you avoid some of those, some of those traps. But if we move on into this second kind of exit, kind of planned transition that we were talking about, which is this, this executive chair role, it's really, what is that? And typically, we talk about this executive chair of the board role is often one that an exiting CEO might be in for six to 12 months. It's usually not too much longer for that than that to be in that kind of role. Companies will use this role 
just to help, again, take a slower transition approach. Sometimes it makes a lot of sense for the outgoing CEO to, to be available to help do a thorough and thoughtful and planned transition to the incoming CEO. Sometimes it, it allows for additional time to, for the CEO to transition in certain relationships with large investors and other key stakeholders, maybe customers, suppliers and things you know of the and so it, it does allow for a little bit more time to bring a new CEO in or up to speed and allow for maybe a, a little bit of a slower exit for perhaps a long-standing CEO these roles again are usually most effective in this kind of transition nature and you start to think about okay once we get to this point where we want to use this role how do we define it and this is where we see a very wide range of role definitions across companies. And therefore, we often see a pretty wide range of pay outcomes for this role as well. We could, fr quite frankly, spend an entire session just on this topic alone, but we'll try to keep it at kind of a high level here, Jake, as we talk about some of the pay implications. And notably, an executive chair of the, of the board is an executive of the company and, and frequently an executive officer of the company. And so while they may be stepping away from the CEO responsibilities, the types of pay and the pay components are usually still pretty comparable. You have your salary, bonus, and long-term incentive compensation. Now, here's where we get into some nuances. A salary would be very customary to maintain. Oftentimes, the executive chair would participate in the bonus plan, but sometimes not. And then sometimes the executive chair is either not participating in another equity grant, or if they are, it might be fully time-based. And then we think about, okay, besides those components and which ones should this executive chair participate in, now we're talking about the quantum. Typically, the, the quantum of executive chair compensation is set quite a bit low relative to that person's compensation as CEO and even the compensation of the incoming CEO. And while I did say there is a very wide range uh, of compensation out there, it would not be uncommon to see a, a total comp package for an executive chair that's about half of what the total pay package is for the new you know, incoming CEO. And once we get through that whole process and establish role, timing, compensation, then it's back to some of the points that Adam made around retirement and just making sure that the board you know, understands the termination treatment of the equity awards. And again, any other contractual obligations that may be due upon you know, retirement. And that could be contractual obligations from the company standpoint, but it could also be contractual obligations from the retiring CEO in terms of restrictive covenants and non-competes and uh, confidentiality clauses, you know, and the like. But there are a lot of nuances here. Jake and I mentioned we could have a whole session just on this topic. Great. This has been an amazing discussion, though. So as we wrap up, what are some of the most important takeaways for listeners to think about with respect to setting CEO compensation? Certainly, as we've been talking about, I think one of the most important things is to understand what the circumstances for the company and the executive are. There's nuances like we've discussed in each one of these different scenarios, whether the CEO is internal or external, whether they've got prior experience, whether they don't, what the source of the data is going to be for the board and for the compensation committee, what additional information beyond the numbers 
everybody is going to be looking to. And Michael said at the very beginning of our time, it's about process. It's about how to ensure that a successful process takes place. It's about open communication. It's about setting expectations for what the timing and, and overall that process are going to look like. Each individual, whether they're a member of management, the board, the independent compensation consultant, everyone needs to understand their role, what the process looks like, and be as open and honest going through that process as possible. Yeah, Adam, I agree with all that. And I guess, you know, I would just say that we feel like it's an effective and successful outcome if the ultimate decision is reasonable and fair to the executive as well as to shareholders and, and you know other external key stakeholders that it was arrived at through uh, a very rigorous objective and independent process involving lots of different data points input and ultimately uh, a healthy dose of board judgment and one that results in CEO pay that's again highly aligned with the shareholder experience balancing important internal needs and business context and company performance uh, with external expectations and just good corporate governance. Great. Thank you both for taking the time today. This has been phenomenal. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. You can see more about this episode along with additional executive compensation insights at meridiancp.com. That's meridian, the letter C, and the letter P.com.